Tonight is going to be the night that we finish up something that we started a few weeks ago. I think we started like a month ago where we were talking through the story of Nehemiah. And, um, and I wanted to finish that up tonight because we've kind of had some breaks. And next week, like I said, Kyle is going to be here. And he's going to talk about Project 54 and Skid Row and, and what's going on there and, and all the cool stuff. And so tonight I wanted to wrap up um, the story of Nehemiah. And if you don't know the story of Nehemiah or in the book of Nehemiah, it's really a story, uh, it's a historical story, and there's proof, and we know about it. Um, we can actually have, we have archaeolog- archaeological evidence, ooh, that was a big word, archaeological evidence about this story, but we've been focusing on a few different aspects. For the first couple of weeks, we talked about how Nehemiah is a guide to find the vision for our life, what we're supposed to do and what God is calling us to, but it also is about leadership and it's about focus. And so for those of you who do not know about the book of Nehemiah or the, the person of Nehemiah, it was written about 400 years after David and Solomon. And what took place is um, the Jews were in captivity under Persian rule. And during this time, they, the Persians uh, allowed some of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. And although, so they were still under their rulership, but they were allowed to go back to their home state or their home city. And as they were there and as they were kind of getting back on their feet and getting things together, um, some of the Jews were still uh, with the, the Persian government and one of which was named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, and the king, his name is Artaxerxes. If you want to use that for your kids in the future, maybe name them that, that's fine, that's a freebie. And so King Artaxerxes had Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king, where he was kind of like secret service, because that's how you could kill the king, is poison him, and so he would drink it first, and be like, mm, I didn't die, so you couldn't drink it. And so Nehemiah uh, kind of had a, a high position, especially for someone who was consider, considered a slave. And so we see that as Nehemiah hears about the condition of the city Jerusalem, in which he probably had never even been to before, but was the city of his forefathers and was this land promised by God. And they believed that God punished them because of their rebellion and they allowed the city to be ransacked. Um, when he heard that the city of Jerusalem was in ruins, he began to have a burden on his heart. And so we talked about the first week, we talked about how oftentimes our burdens and our passions are indications of what God wants us to do with our life or what he wants us to do at least with this next season of our life. And so as he begins to have this burden to see the city um, built back up again and and made back to um, its original state, he begins to see a vision for his life. And if you have anything in your life in which you look at and you think, that's not how this should be, or what if the world could look like this, that may be the beginning of a vision for your life that God has, has given you. Then um, we talked about what a vision is, and a vision is really just a mental picture of what you want the various arenas of your life to look like, and so we all have different arenas of our life. We have our our financial arenas, we have our relational arenas of our life, we have our our spiritual, um, we have physical, we have all these different arenas, and if you think about the next six months, years, year, five years, 10 years, 50 years of your life, and you begin to think through each of those arenas, you can probably have a picture of where you would like to end up. What you, what you want to look like physically when you're 80, or what you want your finances to look like, or what you want your relationship to look like, your marriage, what you can think of and imagine what you want that to be, and that is a vision for your life. And the scripture tells us that without a vision, we will perish, we'll wander through life aimlessly, and we will all end up somewhere, but most of us, without a vision for our life, won't end up in a place in which we like One of my favorite sayings, and I've said it countless times, is no one plans to mess up their life. They just don't plan not to. 
And so one of the things that we're trying to do as young people is to plan for our life. Of course, there's going to be things that get in our way and things that are unexpected, and there's going to be ups and downs, but we want to plan for our future. Not because, uh, just because it's a smart thing to do, but because the scripture calls us to be those types of people. And so uh, Nehemiah begins to have a, a, a burden for the city of Jerusalem. His brother comes back from a trip there, and he asks, hey, what's Jerusalem looking like? And he says, it is in really bad condition. In fact, here's what he says. He says, those who survived the exile and are back in the providence are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And so he hears about the condition of the city, and he begins to weep. Because he just knows that this was supposed to be God's chosen people. This was supposed to be their city. And to see it broken down in a mess like this was really difficult for him. And so this is going to be what we're going to discover in the next couple minutes is what it looks like to have a calling from God for our life. And then also, how do we stay focused on that calling? And oftentimes, it's going to have a leadership element. It may be leading up. It may be leading other people. And it also may just be for a season. And so sometimes I think uh, that we get in our minds that there is like this one grand thing that we're going to do with our life. You know, like we are going to do something that's going to be incredible. And that might be true. However, it may be an accumulation of different things you do throughout your life, seasons in which God calls you to this one thing for this period of time, and then he calls you to another thing later on. And so it might be something that you're called to do this week or this year or in this next decade, but all of us are called to something. And so it's going to take incredible focus in which we're going to learn uh, what that looks like from, from uh, Nehemiah. So my dad told me years ago when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and trying to figure out, okay, and I'll talk a little bit about my story today, but I was trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with my life? And he told me the story of the burning boats. And maybe you've heard of this story before. Is in the third century BC, there was a Chinese commander who led his troops into battle. And as they arrived onto the shore and they're going to go into battle, he burns all of the boats that they arrived on. And the reason why he did that is because he says, we're either going to go and we're going to fight or we're going to die. There is no surrender. We are not going to turn back. And so we're burning. Our only option, our only way to retreat is now going to be eliminated. It's because he didn't, he didn't want to leave an option for them to, to be able to flee. And this burning boats kind of scenario is something that a lot of us are going to encounter in, in different areas of our life, in which when we choose to do something, there's no turning back, there's no surrender. If God has called us to it, we are going to have to push through and make it. It's either a do or die situation. And so we have to discern through prayer and uh, seeking wise counsel and through reading the scriptures, what is our burning boat? What is our burning boat for this next season? What is it for our life? And you'll begin to realize that some of the most important things in your life will all become burning boat scenarios. Almost all the important things in your life are going to be a do or die type thing. If you think about some of the uh, most important things, you have an all or nothing scenario. So here's what mine look like, and I've gone through a few of these, but here's what the first one looked like, is a lot of you know that I was in business prior to doing ministry, and I, uh, I had uh, some, some success in business, and I was able to do some cool things early on. And years into it, I kind of thought, hey, you know, I think I'm not doing exactly what I should. I enjoy business, and it's fun, and I like making money, and all that kind of good stuff, but I think I'm supposed to do some ministry stuff. And so I began to pray, and I began to talk to people, and I eventually realized that I was supposed to go and pursue business. 
And it was not one of those things where I could do like 50% and 50%, right? It, it, business and ministry, either you're 100% in or you're 100% out. You have to choose one or the other. And so I decided, all right, I'm going to have to burn the business boats. I'm going to have to walk away from that, and I'm going to have to pursue what I believe God is calling me to do. It's kind of an all or nothing thing. I couldn't just do it halfway. And you're going to learn, if you're married, this is exactly what marriage is. You don't go into a marriage going, I'm like 50% into this, you know? Like, I'm going to keep some options open, okay? And we're going to see what happens. And then uh, if times get a little bit rough, we'll bail on this one. We'll try another one. No. No one said, can you imagine if you were saying your wedding vows and, you were, and that's like what it looked like? Like, I love you until it doesn't work out. Then we'll, we'll try something else, okay? You know, no, no, uh-uh, no. Because it's an all or nothing thing. Same is true with kids. When my kids are annoying me, I don't go, I'm a, you know what, forget this one. I'm trying, let's try again. Let's start over. Let's start over. These ones are not working. Give this, give this one to somebody else. Let's try another one, right? No, right? You have to be all in. You don't just to get to parent 50% of the time. And if you do, it's usually not going to turn out very well. Same is true of faith. Is Jesus doesn't say, come and follow me 50% of the time. You can have 50% of your time and I'll take the other. No, no, no. He says, it's all in. It's an all or nothing thing. Following Jesus is 100% or it's zero. You don't get to just be a little bit in. So a lot of the most important things, and I'm sure we could all come up with examples, is it's all or nothing. And so we have to decide, what is God calling us to do in which we have to burn our, our boats? So think about it for a moment. And don't even think about like, maybe it's the right, think, think smaller. What about just in the next six months? What is something in the next six months that if you decide that do this one thing, it could change your life? That there has been something lingering in your world in which if you just got focused and you got serious about fixing this thing or dealing with this situation or, 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 or making a conscious effort, that it would change your world. Just in the next six months or, or year. Maybe there's some relational issues in which you and your parents or you and your, your girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse or your friends or whatever, you know that there's some issues there. And if you just intentionally took the time to try to resolve whatever's going on there, it could really change your world. Or maybe there's some relationships that have been lingering for a long time and you know that they're not healthy, they're not good, and yet you've just been letting them kind of fester and you say, well, you know what, in the next six months, I, I need to end those. Maybe in the next week, I need to end that. Maybe tonight, I need to end that. Or maybe it's some financial decisions that you have to make in which you've been having some debt that you've been kind of just letting sit there for a while and you're making the minimum payments and you're going, ah, I really need to get serious about this. I've had student debt for like 15 years now, you know, and I need to probably take care of that. Or I got credit card debt and okay, it's time for me to buckle down. I need to get serious on it. Um, it, there could be tons of different stuff. It could be physical stuff. It could be addiction. It could be, but imagine your life in six months or 12 months from now or 18 months from now in which if you focused on this one thing, your life would be different. And that's actually what Nehemiah talks about in his story. Um, Nehemiah knows that the one thing that God is calling him to is to go to Jerusalem and help rebuild this city. He says, okay, this is the one thing. And this isn't a long-term thing. This isn't the rest of his life kind of thing. This is for the next like month or month and a half kind of thing. And so he says, okay, I know that God is calling me to do this. And, and of course, we learn through the story that the king grants him his request and these kind of crazy things start aligning up and it starts to work out. And so when he realizes, you know, this is the one thing that I'm supposed to do, he decides that there is nothing that's going to get in his way. And so as Nehemiah heads to the city, we see that um, God kind of aligns 
all these things where he gets the resources he needs and he gets the, the traveling mercies that he needs and the protection and all these things start to align. And then here's what happens in uh, verse, uh, Nehemiah verse 2, 17. He gets everybody together in the city after he's checked out the condition of the walls and all that stuff. And he says this, he says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. And so we already are learning principles from Nehemiah. He says, okay, I know what God's calling me to do. And then he begins the journey of pursuing what God has called him to do. And he gets the right people involved at the right time. He goes and he says, okay, we're going to have to delegate a little bit, guys. I can't do this on my own. And oftentimes, whatever God's calling us to do, it's going to involve other people. And so he gets the right people involved and he says, okay, here's what we need to do. And he gives us three things. We need to identify what the problem is. We need to plan how to solve it. And then we need to get to work. We need to move. He identified that the problem uh, was that the condition of the gates and the walls were destroyed. And then he came up with a strategy, okay, and he kind of delegates. Here's what you guys are going to do, and here's what you guys are going to do, and here's what you guys are going to do. And he goes, okay, now everybody move and go do it. Now, here's the, here's the problem. Most of us are good, of, uh, good at one of those three things, but we're not good at all of those things. And so some of us are really good at identifying problems. I have some of these in my life, my sister and my wife and my mother and really the women of my life. Um, <laughs> And they identify primarily the things that are wrong with me. And, uh, and so a lot of us are really good at pinpointing like, here's what the issue is. Here's what the real problem is. And it's with people and it's with companies and it's with careers. And, and we can identify what it is. But if it just does this, this is all we can do, it's not very helpful. Some of us are really good at, at coming up with, with solutions, in which, we, you know what, we're problem solvers. We're going to make sure everything's okay. We're going to figure it out. But they don't have a whole lot of discernment. They're not really sure what the main issues are. And then some of us, we just go, right? We're just like, whew, I'm ready to rock. Woo! And yet, we don't have a plan. We don't know where we're going. We're like a chicken with our head cut off. We're just running around like, I don't know, but I'm busy. <laughs> you know, right? I'm always busy. What are you busy with? I don't know, but look at me go, right? So we have to have all three of them, though. We have to be able to identify what the issue is, we have to plan of how to solve it, and then we have to take action to move forward. Now, here's a thing that um, we don't like to hear, but is very much the truth. As, as Nehemiah's plan is coming together, and it looks like, okay, this is beautiful, you know, everybody's doing their job, okay, you know, I've, I, I've had a ton of resources and, and things that have been granted to me, and so this whole process is coming together great. But like any great plan, there is always going to be opposition. And so Nehemiah's uh, opposition is, is pretty serious. What happens is the surrounding cities around Jerusalem have gotten used to this city being without walls. And that means that they're really vulnerable. That means that they can come in, they can control them, they can make sure um, that they can, they can uh, take advantage of any resources that they may have in the city. And as they begin to rebuild the city walls, this is a threat to all the other surrounding cities because these people are now starting to stand up for themselves. They're going to be able to defend themselves. We can't take advantage of them any longer. And so what happens is these cities surrounding it and their leaders, they start to at first mock them. Like, what are you guys doing? Seriously, building walls? Come on. That's ridiculous. You're grown men. Go get a real job, you know? But they start mocking them. And they realize that the mocking isn't working. 
that these people are pretty focused, that they're pretty serious about what they're doing. And so when the mocking doesn't work, they begin to threaten them. And they say, hey, if you guys don't stop building, you know what we're going to do? We're going to send a message to the king. And we're going to tell the king uh, that you guys are rebelling. And the reason why you're here is because you're trying to build a new kingdom in rebellion to the king. And what is interesting is Nehemiah, instead of submitting to and being distracted by this threat, he does something really smart. So what they want to do is they say, Nehemiah, um, why don't you come out, you meet with us, and we'll discuss what you guys are doing. And Nehemiah says, I don't think so, man. In fact, here's exactly what he says, and this is a great, um, a great quote, is uh, he says this. Let me see if I can find it. I'm kind of freestyling tonight, so let's see if it is. Here it is. Verses uh, 6-3 says this. He says, I, this is him into the, saying to the opposition, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And so what he says here is he goes, no, 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 no. Remember when I decided that this is what I was supposed to do? One of the things that I also decided was that I was not going to let anything distract me. I wasn't going to allow anything to get in my way. I'm going to have an intense focus because if unless God is telling me to do something else, I'm not going to allow you to get in my way. Nehemiah has something which my dad would describe as he's got, uh, he's got skin like a rhino and a heart like a dove. And this is something my dad taught me about a long time ago, and I always repeat it because in ministry, what can happen is you are trying to push forward, and especially in the direction that you think God is calling either the ministry to or you as an individual to, and what will always happen is people are going to want to stand in the way of progress that you're trying to make. And it doesn't matter um, if you're trying to do something for them and to help their life. They will always put their, they'll, they'll, they'll plant their feet and say, no, we're not moving. Uh-uh, we're not going to do this. Because people hate change. Even if it's a positive change, they just react to it. They dig their heels in and say, no. And uh, through ministry, throughout the years, I've been in ministry, well, I guess my whole life, because my dad's a pastor. And, and it's been interesting watching over the years because I have seen as the ministry grows, both um, in, in width and depth, the stack of hate mail grow over the years. And I will get, I, I, it, there's, it kind of goes in seasons, but I'll get hate mail all the time, particularly at certain times if I do a message that kind of, ooh, that was like, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. People will be like, oh, keyboard, I'm angry, da, 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 you know, and like send an email. And, and so we get these stacks of emails, and one of the things my dad constantly reminds me of is, hey, it's okay, man. It's okay. You got to have skin like a rhino and heart like dove. Because what can happen is you can have skin like a rhino, but then you can also have a heart that is hardened in which nothing penetrates you. You don't care, but your heart is also hardened to people's feelings and to what's going on in their world. Or you can have the other side of which um, you have this really thin skin and a sensitive heart. And I think that as we look through uh, the political landscape, especially, we're seeing both parties. And what I mean by both parties is we're seeing the thick skin and the soft hearts, but we're not seeing people who can have both. Now, unfortunately, the millennials, which is all of us in this room, we have gotten a reputation for being thin-skinned, right? In which we wake up every day and go, what am I going to be offended about today? You know, like, what can I find to be angry about? And we're like, well, no, there it is. <laughs> you know, 30 seconds, I already found something. And we can be offended so easily. And what the scripture tells us is that as we as Christians follow Jesus, we have to look at him as um, our example. 
And if you think about who Jesus is, does he have thick skin? Oh, incredibly thick skin. Think about his ministry. There were people who were constantly trying to condemn him. They were telling him that he was from the devil and that he was uh, using demon powers in order to heal people. And they're constantly trying to see him slip up. And eventually they go and they, they, they strip him naked. They beat him, they torture him, and they put him up on a cross. And you know what he says during this whole process? He doesn't get bitter. He doesn't have a hard heart. He goes, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You can't get more tenderhearted than that, and yet also a thicker skin. You have the, the, the epitome of both of those things in the person of Jesus. And so us as Christians are called to do the same, is we are supposed to be unoffendable for the cause of Christ. Unoffendable for the cause of Christ. Meaning, when God calls us to something, it, you, can't, you can't insult us. You can't harm us. You can't hurt us. Because we know that all the stuff that we deserved, all the insults and all the condemnation and all the things that we truly do deserve because of our rebellion has been taken care of uh, by Jesus on the cross. And so everything that we have is a gift. Because at the root of why we, have these, uh, why we have this thin skin is entitlement, is we feel like we deserve something. That's what's at the root of this whole issue. That's why, because we grew up and everybody got a trophy, we're entitled to everything that we see. And when we don't get it, that's when we start to get offended. And Jesus says, well, you are entitled to death and condemnation, but I took care of that for you. And so you should walk around just going, ha, can you believe this? My life is a joke because it's so good. And when you walk around like that, you can't be offended. You can't be upset. And it also keeps your heart tender. Okay. Uh, so the big learning from, the, from what Nehemiah is doing here is don't let fatal distractions keep you away from your big dreams. One of the things that I've learned over the years is that there's going to be a lot of good things that are going to come your way. But good things often can be the things that keep you from doing great things. Is you will have opportunities along the way in which there's nothing wrong with them. In fact, they're good opportunities, but they're, they're not great opportunities. Yeah, that's a good job. Yeah, that's a good direction that you go, yeah, this isn't even a good person for you to date. However, by saying yes to this, you're saying no to something in the future that would be greater. And this takes discernment. This, is, this takes a lot of conversation with God going, God, this is a good opportunity. And of course, it's not a moral if I do this, and it may even be uh, the wise thing for me to do right now, but you see what I don't see. And so is this opportunity from you, or is this one of those distractions those good things that become something that keeps me from the great things. And then here's the ending, what happens with Nehemiah in verse 6, 15. He says this, uh, so the wall was complete. Oh, by the way, fun detail. As they were building the wall, all the, uh, all the members of Jerusalem, as they were building the wall, because of the threat from the outside cities, they were building with one hand and had swords in the other. <laughs> that's cool. Okay. Uh, that's so manly. Oh, that's great. Wouldn't you be like, if you saw construction workers doing that, you'd be like, I'm not messing with them. <laughs> you know, like, they're doing a jackhammer and they could stab me. I'm not messing with that. Anyway, okay, 6.15 says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Ihul, Ihlul, Ih, Hebrew calendar month, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. I find that, I find that funny. Uh, lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Now here is the most, probably the most important part, is as Nehemiah sees his dreams come true, he does not for a moment think that he was the one that did them. He, he goes, look, 
I know that God is the one that provided me this opportunity. He gave me the resources. He gave me the talents. He put me in the right place at the right time. And then he helped me each step along this process to accomplish a really difficult task. And so I'm not going to stand here at the end of this and go, look at how awesome I am. I'm a great leader. I'm a visionary. Um, I was able to stay focused. And so I'm going to write a book and it'll be, you know, no, no, no. He doesn't do any of that. So he says, you know, guys, I realize that something incredible has happened here, and I've, I've seen some dreams come true right now, but I'm not going to try to take responsibility for it. I'm not the one who, who put these uh, resources in my path. I'm not the one who gave me these talents. I, wasn't, I didn't really do anything except for just ask God and then go where he leads me. And this is incredibly important because um, we have to decide this before we see our dreams and visions come true that we are going to praise God not only the whole way through the process, but whenever we see it come to fruition. Because one of the most dangerous places to be is to think that when you have accomplished something, it's because of your own ability. Because then pride starts to set in. Then you start to buy into your, to, to, to your own, um, what's, the, what's the saying? Buy into your own, oh, come on. Buy into your own hype? Is that what it is? Kind of like that, right? Buy into your own, anybody want it? There's a game. Bing? No? Okay. <sighs> Forget you guys. You guys are no help. I can do 25 minutes of talking. You can't give me one word. <laughs> really? Buy into your own publicity. Nah. Let's play a game here. Publicity is not it. Hype's kind of close to it. Buy into your own. You don't know what I'm saying? I hang out with old people too much. That's the problem. You guys don't know these things. Uh, freaking, you know, freaking think you're so sick and stuff. Is that better? All right, good. <laughs> Where was I? Okay, big learning. Yes, praise God. Okay. Um, here's the coolest part about, about seeing your visions and dreams come true, especially as if God has been a part of that process in which he's guided you and he's provided, with you, provided for you, is you get to be a part of something even bigger than the little piece of the puzzle that you just did. And so... Uh, when we look at our lives, we can look at it in one of two ways. We can go, wow, I accomplished this thing with my life, which is good in itself, and that's great. But we get to say, no, 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 I not only accomplished this thing, but this was one piece of the puzzle in which God was putting together, in which it's going to have ramifications from here to eternity. And so I got to be a part of something far bigger than whatever the piece that I played was. And so that's actually one of my motivations um, as a parent, is it's, it's a tiring job. These little punks are just like, they're nonstop, you know? You just go, wow, I, I have to lock them up in cages sometimes. Yeah. Cribs, but same thing. Um, in, in which, but I also think, you know what? It's not just about the task of raising kids. Because as I look back on uh, my grandparents, and just because they raised their kids to love the Lord, the reverberating um, impact that has had on so many other people and it's just a little piece of the puzzle. I get to be just a little piece of the puzzle in which God is doing in this grand, beautiful picture. And so what does the burning boat for your life look like? As I've been talking, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe it sparks something in your mind in which you realize, okay, there's some relational stuff that I have to just get serious about. I can't, I can't let it linger anymore. I got at least, at least for my part, I got to do my part in this deal. I got to go and try to reconcile. I got to either, I got to end this thing. I've got to, what is the relational thing that needs worked on? that you just can't ignore anymore? What is, the, uh, what is the financial stuff that you need to focus on? 
that, okay, you know what, like you're not getting married anytime soon and you're still living at your parents' house and all that kind of stuff. And so you just freely spend and do Korean barbecue, you know, three days a week and all that kind of good stuff. Um, Amen. Yes. Amen. Um, But you go, ah, but like, what if, you know, I do meet that person or I want to buy a house one day or I want to, what if I got serious about it now? And I said no to some stuff today so that I could experience that tomorrow. What would that start to look like? Or what if we went a little deeper? What if you said, man, I gotta, I gotta just deal with some baggage that I've been carrying around for a while. I've never dealt with my, my parents' stuff, with my dad's stuff, my mom's stuff, with my own background and mistakes. I haven't dealt with that stuff and I need to start just figuring that out because it's been lingering for a really long time. What is the area of your life in which you go, okay, no more, I gotta get in shape, right? I gotta, I gotta start eating healthy, because it's getting harder and harder and harder. And so, you know what? I got to get serious about this. We all have it. We all got stuff. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. What we got to start to figure out, okay, what are the things in which I'm going to say, I will accomplish this no matter what. And we start laying out these goals. One of the things I do every single um, January is I start laying out my burning boats for the year. Here are the things that I will accomplish by the end of the year. I'm going to make sure that these things, and I write them out for every category. Here's the things that I will make sure. And to be honest, it has been a game changer. Because throughout the years, and one example is um, Amy came to me years ago, and she said, you know, I just don't think we're spending enough time together. I don't think we're hanging out enough. You know, like it, it, life is busy, kids are crazy, all that stuff. But I don't think we're, we're spending enough time. I said, okay, well, that's going to be one of my burning boats this year then. We will have a date night every single week. We won't just, I'll make that happen. And I will be home by 5.30 every single night so that I can hang out with you guys and, uh, and we make sure that we're good. And that just became one of my burning boats for the year is I will not let anything stop me from doing those things. And so what are those things for you? The challenge is to not, um, to not ignore it, to really think about what's happening in your life and to just pick those things. Pick one, pick two, pick five. But make sure you pick something and say, all right, in the next five months, six months, seven months, five years, ten, whatever it is, these are going to be the things that I am going to make sure that I stay focused on. So let's pray. Lord God, thanks so much for uh, how good you are to us and for uh, providing a place where we can come and we can have fun and we can laugh, we can meet other people, and uh, most importantly, we can have air conditioning. And uh, so, Lord God, I just, uh, I just pray for all the volunteers that are at Royal Family Kids Camp and with the high schoolers and with the junior hires and um, all the other places in which people are serving throughout the weekend. Lord God, I just pray that you would um, give them strength, emotional and physical strength as they encounter some pretty deep stuff that these kids are dealing with and that you would just shine your light through them and that, uh, and that these kids would get to know you um, through the people of Seacoast. And Lord God, we just, uh, we just thank you. Thank you for an incredible... Uh, incredible week. And we pray. Amen.